Welcome to the Living Faith Fellowship Conference podcast. The Living Faith Fellowship is a peer network of like-minded churches united under a single biblical authority and one common mission. You're about to hear a message from one of the many conferences hosted by the Living Faith Fellowship every year. We pray it's a blessing. All right, so, hey, how y'all doing? Thanks for uh, coming back. It's actually been really good, hasn't it? I've really enjoyed this conference this year and yesterday it was really it was really good with kale and real practical stuff and it's real casual environment here and i really like that and so as we go through i i do handouts it you you don't have to follow them but if you want to um i want you to stop me if at any time you have a question along the way so we're just gonna we're gonna look at something i i really am kind i mean a lot it's weird for me to say like to self-declare what I'm really all about, but um, I kind of am a bottom line kind of guy. Like I just, my, my temperament, my nature is to just kind of cut through the weeds of a lot of details that confuse people. And let's just make it simple as much as possible. And that, that's always been a real help to me when others help me do that. And so that's been kind of a focus of what I try and do. So what, what you typically get from me is stuff that's distilled all the way down and pretty pretty simple. So some of you hopefully won't be too dis. You'll be like, really? We came here for that? Like, it's it's just that easy. But I do want to try and give you perspective on the simple things because what I've learned is over the years that, and you know, all my vast experience, uh, this is where people blow it, right? You guys that are sports fans, you know your favorite teams. If they're good, it's because they keep drilling the fundamentals. And they keep making sure that they're good at dribbling and shooting free throws or whatever the sport might be. And so you got to be good at the fundamentals. You got to not forget the core value of what you're doing because you can get distracted. You can get drawn away into other shiny objects that are on the periphery that seem like that's that'd be fun. Let's do that. That's innovative. That's new. Hey, I'll be the cool guy who dreams up. Um, don't do that. Just be the faithful guy who follows the script. And the script is, is pretty clear. And, and the script, you know, let's be Captain Obvious, is the script chores. And so, you know, we, 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 we're so King James only. I, we have a t-shirt. Like, we're, we're that crowd. We're the weirdos that believe one Bible that was translated over 400 years ago is the right Bible. Uh, and, and you know what? We believe it for a reason. We believe it because we think it's right. We believe it because we've done enough research. There's, there's plenty of internal evidence. There's plenty of external evidence. Yeah, there's, a, there's an element of faith involved. It's a faith-based approach. But we understand as... KJV onlyists that it's not popular. If you spend any time out there and with your friends that are Christians that aren't a part of this local church or a church like ours, you'll find that they're nice people. They love God. They think you're crazy about the Bible thing. And as a result, what, what is your response? Oh, well, I mean, if you think I'm crazy, I guess I should read an ESV. No, that's not your response. At least, allow me to say that should not be your response. Your response should be, okay, well, you know, you do you. But we're going to do this because we believe it's right. We believe it's the right thing to do. And although we find ourselves in a minority, although we find ourselves, you know, in some relatively small group of people that hold to this position, for example, we hold to this position because... We believe it has merit. We believe it matters. We believe that God blesses it. We believe that God takes the actual specific words that he preserved in one book and he reveals himself, his word, his plan, his will for our life. And if we're going to understand it, we have to study the words. We need to know how to do that. We need to do what Alan has referred to as English Bible exegesis, let the words take you to the words that 
reveal the context, that reveal the message. You can't make it up on the fly. You can't go do... We don't believe that. And so we think we have a better view, even though it's a minority view. That's my whole point, right? No, so everybody should be down with all that. Said I thought this was about missions. It, it, we'll get in there. The point is, I want you to take that same mentality that we already have developed about being King James Version onlyists and how important that actually is to really understanding and walking with God. And even though it's not necessarily popular and and apply it to what I want to talk about, and the title I gave it was Local Church Onlyists. Because I think that just as much as we should be King James Onlyists, we should be local church onlyists. And, and so what I want to do is take some time, and I've got, you know, my version of the David Letterman, well, top five list of why I'm LCO and why you should be too. So this is actually, again, this is very simple. It's simplified. It's, it gets down to the bottom line. But if you can nail this, and so, like I don't know where you guys were if and when, when you, when you flipped that switch, when you realized, ah, this Bible is the Bible. There was a time in your life when that light went on. Okay, I remember when that was for me. And I realized that this is not just, you know, some religious philosophical book or whatever. This, these are the very words of God. Man, that changed my life, right? So, man, I mean, with that same mentality, if you can get that switch flipped in your mind that, ah, this is so simple. All I have to do is follow the script. I just need to be a part of God's singular plan of how we're going to reach the world, how we're going to be involved in the Great Commission. Well, it just simplifies everything. It clarifies the fog lifts. And you just, yeah, okay, so we can talk about all the other, you know, punches in the gut that come along the way. That's fine. But I am solely and, and singularly focused on one goal. And that's development of the one thing for which Jesus Christ died. The church. Ephesians chapter 5. And so, you know, let God be true and every man a liar, right? Don't, don't let yourself be, you know, drawn away into what, and, and I'm going to use personal examples, okay? Um, the term that is typically used is called parachurch ministries. And, you know, it supposedly comes from, you know, a Greek word, paraclete, and you come alongside the church and, you know, all this kind of stuff. Well, I would like for you to consider whenever you hear people talking about these wonderful parachurch ministries, the way you'll remember, you won't remember paraclete. Who cares about, who cares about that? Here's the word I want you to remember, parasite. Because my experience is that parachurch ministries are parasites of the local church. They attach themselves to a living organism and suck the life out of it. Now, I don't know if you knew what you were coming to when you came to this class, but I have a unique charm. And this is kind of how it rolls. It's not for everybody, but hopefully it'll be for you today. Um, yeah, so that's, that's these parachurch ministries, these independent, specialized ministries that pop up and really advertise and look cool and they they are truly parasites trying to suck the life out of the body that Jesus Christ died for and you don't need to spend your energy promoting that or helping to do that rather let's you know pick the leeches off of us clean ourselves and build a strong body right that's that's kind of what that's kind of what my goal is okay reason number 1 why I'm local church only, and you should be too, is that it's the New Testament model. And this should really be the only reason we need, but we're going to get into other stuff. And I don't really intend for this to be, you know, Theology 101 on the local church, you know, in, in a systematic theology class. Your churches teach that. LFBI teaches that. You guys have that availability to study that. If you have already, that's fine. Um, but what I do want to do 
as I take a moment and read for you what the Living Faith Fellowship official missions philosophy statement is. And if you haven't read them, there's one on the Bible, there's one on discipleship and all that sort of thing. There's one on missions, and they're on the LFFellowship.com page, and you can pull that up and you can read it. I just printed it here. Um, I, I mean, I wrote it. But anyway, I, I want you to, it, it was approved by other smart guys, so, so that's something. The official LFF missions philosophy statement. The missions philosophy of Living Faith Fellowship is simply to obey the Lord's command in the Great Commission, go into all the world and make disciples. In the general sense, that defines our mandate as believers in Jesus Christ, regardless of location, and thus describes our mission. While the general commands of Scripture apply to all believers everywhere, in a more specific sense, we want to clearly articulate the biblical focus of international ministry. That would have been my focus for missions, meaning missions in a broad sense is everywhere, but international ministry. So missions, whether foreign or domestic, is simply church planting. The Living Faith Fellowship is a fellowship of local churches, not of individual Christians. As such, all ministry is derived from local churches and focused on making disciples who will propagate local churches. Any ministry endeavor that is disconnected from the authority of a New Testament local church, for example, a parachurch ministry, is outside the scope of this mission's philosophy for the LFF. Our focus and calling, therefore, is to identify and train faithful men, 2 Timothy 2.2, who will one day desire the office of a bishop, 1 Timothy 3.1, who will have proven themselves, 1 Timothy 3.6, through ministry responsibility in the church and sense God's call on their lives to separate and be sent by their local church, Acts 13, 2 and 3, to reproduce the life of Christ in new places by starting new local churches for the glory of God, Ephesians 3.21. A foreign missionary then must adapt to his new environment 1 Corinthians 9, 20 to 23, by learning his new language and culture well so as to be able to communicate the gospel effectively in the context to his target audience and in a way they can understand and receive it. The tangible goal is to start local churches that will mature into indigenous churches which are independent of outside assistance. These mature churches then will then, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, be equipped to continue the work taking the gospel to all nations. In this sense, the work of the foreign missionary is to work himself out of a job in any particular location he's working. So he can move on to reproduce new churches and new locations. And that's the end of the statement. So the Great Commission is clear. Go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, right? And that commission was given specifically to the apostles. To, to those disciples that followed Christ in his earthly ministry, right? So what did they do when they received that commission? How did they understand what that meant when Christ gave them that commission moments before he ascended back to the third heaven and they then carried on, right? So once Jesus ascended to heaven, Acts chapter 1, he told them to go back to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father, which was the coming of the Holy Spirit, <laughs> Acts chapter 2, Pentecost, you know that story. So the Holy Spirit comes and the birthing of the, of the organism of the church of Jesus Christ comes with the indwelling, permanent indwelling and sealing of the Holy Spirit of God, a new dispensation. What did these new spirit-filled believers then do? Well, they preached about Jesus and his resurrection, certainly, and they established local churches. That's what they did. And so the most obvious example is the Apostle Paul. He's the one that the Bible explicitly says over and over and over again through the epistles, follow Paul, follow me as I'm a follower of Christ, right? He was sent by a local church. He started by traveling as an evangelist, and he started local churches. And so like when Paul, you know, makes his way and to a new area, and what does he do? He comes and he finds Lydia and some women, and they're, they're praying by a riverside, and he decides to join himself with them and talk to them. What, what didn't happen, right, is he didn't go up and happen to run into the 
Riverside Women's Prayer Ministry. No, no. He took these existing believers and he organized them into a New Testament local church, right? And so since we're commanded to follow Paul, and, and, and this is a review for many of you probably, but I do want to make it a point of statement because maybe some of you don't know this. If you have your Bibles and you want to look, Acts chapter 14, in my opinion, is the clear definition of what it means to follow Paul's example, okay? So this is the end of his first missionary journey, and he's summarizing what took place before he returns back to his home church, Antioch, and then, and then is about to set out again on another missionary journey. And it starts in verse 21 of Acts chapter 14, and it won't take a long time, but it's, it's fairly evident in this context if you haven't noticed it before. And it says, and when they had preached the gospel to that city, there's evangelism, and had taught many, well, they continued to teach and disciple, if you will, you know, go into all nations, go into all the world and teach all nations, make disciples. That's literally what it is, right? So you take people who got saved and disciple them. They returned again to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, confirming the souls, <laughs> excuse me, of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith that we must through much tribulation enter in the kingdom of God. So there's the themes that we've heard about already, and there's difficulties and challenges associated with it, and people need to disciple and train, and that's what this conference is all about, to warn you and prepare you and be ready for the fact that the road has bumps, it has potholes. It's okay. And then ultimately in verse 23, it says, and when they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. So certainly the target was not just evangelism. When I was in college, and I'll talk about this more in a minute, I was associated with a campus group. That's actually how I got saved. They're called Campus Crusade for Christ. Maybe part of them. And I got saved. And then, you know, there was minor low-level Bible study stuff that they taught you a little, but not much, and whatever. Okay, so the Campus Crusade for Christ is known for being worldwide evangelists. After evangelism, eh, not so much. There's other groups, navigators, they're more known for discipleship, not so much evangelism. Everybody's a specialist, right? Well, Paul didn't stop at any one of these points. He kept going until he ordained elders and was they were proven mature enough to be commended unto the Lord. Turn them, up, turn them over, let them, let them take care of them, themselves now, right? So verse 24, and after they had passed through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia, and when they had preached the word to Perga and went down to Italia, and then sailed to Antioch, their home church, right? From whence they had been recommended to the grace of God for the work which they fulfilled. So we know that Paul fulfilled the mission that he was given. Well, the mission is just a great commission. And he fulfilled it because he went through all the stages of staying and training and building until there was mature, proven leadership to establish local churches with proven, mature leaders. And that's the plan, and that's the goal. And, and, and I'm... Local church only because it's the biblical model. It's the New Testament model. And that's, that's what that means. That's what follow Paul means. And you want to follow Paul, you want to be obedient to the scriptures, and that's what it means for you. So with that, I mean, I get it. So I have maybe I have these references in your notes. You know, We're called to be a body of believers. That's 1 Corinthians 12. We don't need to read all this. You know, somebody's the hand, somebody's the eye, somebody's the foot. The eye can't say the foot, I have no need of you. Etc. Etc. We're all and I are all seeing, are all doing this, are all that. No, of course not. We all need each other. We all need to work together, right? Everybody has a valuable role. That's an important dynamic. In fact, the church is the thing that is called the body of Christ, the very manifestation of Jesus Christ physically on planet Earth today after his ascension is the church. In fact, we say, look, the, the entirety of the Godhead is represented still on this planet, even though Jesus isn't here anymore, because God left his soul, his very mind, his will, his emotions in those scriptures. You, you have the very soul of God, right? He left his spirit, the Holy Spirit now indwells us, right? 
And he left his body. It's the church. The ministry of Jesus Christ on earth continues, but it continues in a church. And, and that's important. And, and we need each other. We all need all of us. And if you say, well, we're just a college ministry. I'm going to pick on the college ministry thing just because I had experience with that. I'm not singling that out. But this campus ministry, for example. Well, okay, so their demographic is, you know, 18 to 22-year-olds or whatever it is if you're in college. Let's say 25-year-olds, grad students. Isn't it? Okay, that's it. That's, that's who they are. And that's all we, that's all we focus on. Okay, well, how far can they really go in development of the entire person if those people are pulled away from a church and segmented into that little group and they don't have to deal with grandma and grandpa in church and they don't have to deal with the little kids running around their ankles in church and they don't have to deal. Okay, well, you know, it's a lot of fun. It's a big party because we're just college guys and we have fun and we enjoy ourselves and Look, there's a time for specific ministries, I'll, I'll say that, but in the context of a larger church, like you have to have the full interaction because grandma is an eye in the body and the little kid is a toenail in the body. Don't stub that thing, that hurts. Everybody's valuable, everybody's important, right? You need everybody, you need to, to rub off against one another. Colossians 1.18, Jesus Christ is the head of the body, the church. The church is the body. And the reason these parasite church, parachurch organizations, they're, they're not stupid. They read the Bible. But they say, oh, the church, it's just a universal church. Okay, well, there is an element of all believers from the resurrection to the rapture are together before the throne in the third heaven seated. At, okay, I get that. There's something to that. There's an element for that in the New Testament. But the overwhelming majority of the usage of the word church throughout the New Testament is local assemblies of humans. You know, we're here too. Okay, let's go on to number two. Hey, yeah, sure. So um, you mentioned, you know, characteristics and stuff like that. So question one is like, are they necessarily, like, I know you mentioned that they're not necessarily evil, more, they're specializing in something, yep. so they probably should just be branches of a local church. Yes. But good. the question I have is like, so the, the man that came up and spoke yesterday for, the, for Israel, um, he, he's got that yes. history in Israel, that's not necessarily for the, I mean, I don't know, but like, I don't know that, anything about that. Is that a care church? Is it right to support stuff like that? Because Well, um, that's I a good that, question for the leaders of the church that know more about that individual yeah. ministry. I don't actually know. Um, so I actually just recorded yesterday a postscript for Brandon, and we talked about this very issue. Um, it's kind of interesting. It, let me continue and see if it doesn't hit what you're talking about. But, but at the end of the day, obviously these people, they're nice people. They love the Lord. They're sacrificing. They're doing what they can. All I'm trying to communicate in some of my snarkiness, because that's just my charm, is that let's not sacrifice the best on the altar of good. You know what I mean? Like these things are okay. But these these organizations rise up because frequently, sadly, local churches aren't doing their job. And since we're not doing our job, see, we're in a really unique bubble because we have churches that actually care to do it right. And if you've only been in these churches, you maybe don't even realize that out there, there's a whole bunch of dead churches that don't care. And they're happy to subcontract out ministry to specialists. And by the way, those guys are taking the money. So one of those Campus Crusade guys comes to my dorm room, knocks on the door, and shares with me a booklet called The Four Spiritual Laws, reads it to me, and I got saved. God uses it. You know what I mean? But it's not the whole picture. Therefore, it's not best. No. Without any direct understanding of this particular ministry in Israel, for example, in the event that nobody knows anybody who has a legitimate local church in Israel, but here's somebody doing something, let's, let's help them. I don't have a problem with that. I get it. But as much as we are seeking God's will for our life, what should we plan to do? Should I plan to go start a specialized parachurch ministry? I would say no, you should not plan that. And for supporting it, I guess. 
the local church, you should be giving your resources to the local church, not to just, I guess, this ministry. I mean, I guess if you had extra, and that's what the Lord wants. So this is really good. And by the way, if we don't get to the details of every point, even I don't even mind. This is good. As far as support goes, because having been a senior pastor managing funds, donations that come in and distributing them out, yes, of course, you should give through the local church. But we live in the United States of America, Western civilization, wealthy of the wealthiest of this world's population. And as a result, because we're so blessed, because we have so much abundance, at least for now, <laughs> um, people want to give their money to specific individuals that they know somewhere doing something. So we have people in our church in Ohio, for example, that faithfully give to the missions budget of the church. But they got enough money to give more. So they also support, you know, feed the children, or they support, you know, orphan aid. Or they support whatever they support. Do what you want. But if it if all you do is support orphan aid and don't <laughs> give to the ministry of the local church to start local, well then I would say that's it's not the best use of. I mean, it's, God gave you the resources. I can't tell you what to do, but I would counsel you don't do that. Make sure you're good. For clarification of terms, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but you would make a distinction between parachurch organizations and businesses. Oh, yeah, for sure. So I think that is some clarity on oh, the, the Israel thing. The Israel thing, and maybe some other ministries, because there's a lot that runs yeah. in my mind. A yeah. business versus a parachute. So I don't know if so you maybe that's clarify that in some way, how you would, because there, there's probably not a clear line there. There's a lot of businesses that function as parents yeah. in practice. Yeah, so the way that I would view that um, is that if you're if you're running a business, you're you're a godly Christian man, woman, and you're running a business. You're taking the talents God gave you to start something that is an income generating machine. Praise the Lord. And then as you're going to use that to witness to people because you're a Christian, Christian people should leverage. You should leverage whatever your job is, whatever you do, right, to try and witness to people. Okay, well, I would I would say. Hey, you're, but you're not a missionary. Don't kid yourself. You're, you're, you're a good Christian man or woman, leveraging what God gave you, willing to relocate to another country, willing to exercise your business acumen for the sake of interacting with people in that location, for the sake of the Lord and, and what he's doing. I would hope that those people were also submitted to the structure of a New Testament church wherever they're at. Because if some of those elements aren't in place, well, then that individual is functioning as a parachurch ministry. Mm -hmm. Like a, an MMO, I don't know if these guys are familiar, but yeah. an organization that specifically is operating under a local church, using local churches on the field. Like yes, Medical Missions program. Outreach is an, a medical outreach organization that we support. And they just do medical clinics all around the world. But they're sponsored by and under the authority of a local church in the States. And they only work with local churches on the field of like mind. And they put on clinics, they bring doctors, and we go on trips with them. We're organizing one this year to go to Tanzania. And uh, we go on trips with them and staff the clinic. The local church on the field doesn't have to do any of the clinic stuff. They only get to do all the evangelism for the people that are waiting in line to get the medical help. Okay, so that's... Is that a parachurch organization? No, absolutely not. It's a specialized ministry that functions through the authority of a local church. And this is some really good clarification in case you needed any. Hang on a second, Mike. Yeah, like so a, uh, that was one question that I have. It's when an organization becomes a part of church organization, because you know sometimes churches get together like like ours. Yeah. Right. But not necessarily run by uh, people that is doing ministry. Or, you know, you get like some specialized, like in Costa Rica, there's one that is specialized in the uh, 1040 window. 1040 window. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it, it basically, at some point, it just indoctrinates people into there's the only option to go. But they do function in a, you know, in a way that, that uh, is not like under the structure of the church, although it's supported by a lot of churches. There's a lot of mission agencies mm -hmm. that are parachurch organizations. It is an independent, 
freestanding mission agency that isn't people go to so you know some well-intending young christian person goes to a church that doesn't fulfill their obligation biblically and they just want to serve the lord so the pastor is like well you should probably you're pretty smart you should probably go to a bible college so they farm them off to an institutional education they graduate they they, they major in missions they got a heart for the world well now i graduated from college and i have a missions major well, I need to get a job, so I'm going to apply to a missions agency, an independent organization in Jesus' name, and I'm going to get my job. So now my authority is the independent organization, not the local church, you see, and, and the, whole, the whole basis and authority structure is skewed. And so, again, man, there's missions agencies with people sharing the gospel around the world. Am I trying to say they're up at the end? No. It's just not as powerful as it could be. And in the event we don't cover all of my points, read them. I mean, local church can be more fruitful if we just do it God's way as well. Yeah, we get to yeah I was just going to say, like, that's one of the big distinctions I see is, you know, a lot of groups doing, doing good. But uh, when you get to ask them, you know, the members of these organizations, the leaders even, you know, what church are you out of, or, or even just simply who is your pastor? A lot of these guys can't name who their God-given endorsed authority figure in their local church is because they're operating outside of it. They freelance. So, they're literally freelancing. Yeah, and the ministry of the gospel. <laughs> and they're sucking resources, and, and I could, you know, I don't want to. It's an alternative. No, it yeah. really is. It, it's it's parasitical, and I don't mean it to be so evil as that sounded it actually i i think it's just accurate yeah i, I was going to say like uh well i was part of a prior church ministry for a long time actually yeah. for a long time and in my experience what was very very difficult is the doctrine because yeah, like uh, i we were part of like different churches and everybody was reading their own bible everybody was just teaching their own things yeah. and it became it came to a point when you're like there's never going to be anything accomplished here because you know everybody had their own disciples you, can you know be because they were sharing God, the same gospel uh -huh. okay what's your name maria maria listen preach it <laughs> Look at your little outline because y'all have covered what I'm covering. I'm telling you, this is, this is simple. Y'all, like, this church is really nice to me. They treat me like I'm smart or something. This is simple stuff. Y'all know this. Just gotta sometimes maybe just, just put some arms around it so that we reinforce the things you're thinking about. Reason number two, I'm local church only because healthy New Testament local churches reach everyone. Isn't that better than just reaching one singular demographic? Like without having to go into all the rhetoric that I may have prepared here, Christianity and, and church life especially, we are a family. We're not a social club. Okay, so I know that it doesn't appear so, but I used to be more interested in physical fitness. And uh, I'm old, I was younger once and cared more about those things. But so I joined a club for people who like to ride bicycles in Tuscarawas County, Ohio. Tuscarawas County Cycling Club. Okay, whatever. Okay, that's a, that's a social club for people with like interests. Okay, there's the Lions Club, there's club, there's whatever they are, you know, I mean, you're, you're in the CrossFit, you're in the whatever you're, okay, and, and all the people that are like you, you know, I, I got some weird Facebook groups that I joined because I'm, like, I'm one of those weird guys that likes really good coffee, so coffee aficionados, you know, like, I haven't found a group where I live, but if there was one, I'd join it. Okay, that's not what the church is, right? It's not just 18 to 25 year olds. It's not just this or it's not just that, right? The church, like I, this bothered me when I went to Albania and I saw like, oh man, this cancer group is doing this and they got a bunch of people and they're doing this, they got a bunch of people. And I'm like, you know, who's your demographic? Who, who's, who's my demographic? 
Well, I'm reading the Bible, and I'm like, I think everybody. <laughs> I think my demographic is anybody who cares to say yes to Jesus. Like, Amen. And if an old lady says yes, an old man says yes, but young kids, well, that's my responsibility to keep working with them, too. And so sometimes it's tough sledding on the front end, right? But as it develops, I mean, look around, y'all. A giant family of people of all ages and walks of life loving Jesus together is way more powerful and attractive to anybody who wanders in off the street. It's just the best plan, right? So rather than thinking, you know, your CrossFit gym club of guys that do what you do, you know, a church is, I mean, think more of like family Christmas or Thanksgiving and everybody's gathered around and, you know, weird Uncle Joe's telling stories, but he's in the family and you know, all that kind of stuff. All right. And then here, let's go to number three, because Maria already preached it and we can just cruise through it. I'm local church only because only the New Testament local church has specific biblical guidelines for its leadership and structure. Amen. Amen. Like, I am so sick of these pop-up organizations that have no, by the way, I mean, if you want to give them a fair shake, they don't have biblical requirements because they're not a biblically based organization. And so, but the New Testament local church is. And so pastors and leaders have to be biblically qualified. First <laughs> Timothy 3 and Titus 1 and some of those kind of things, right? I put the references in your notes that this is for Bible study time. Hebrews 13, you're sub to submit to and follow the faith and the leadership of the pastors and elders and shepherds that God puts over you. And, and that's, again, like I told Mike, I really appreciated this morning, awesome, the no's that come. Well, that's, that's just God loving you. And Well, who's the one that's sometimes the voice that God uses to say no? It's your leadership. Kale and I have had some rounds with down, you know, down that road. He's like, man, turn me loose. And I'm like, no. The old man just isn't listening to the Lord. You know, that kind of stuff. It just, sometimes that's the way God's loving you and preparing you to, you know, do whatever it is you need to do. In fact, I, after I was done with the postscript thing, and I'm not intimidated by the microphones and all that, but for some reason it gets going. And this point right here is the one point I forgot, because this is the subject of the episode. You don't need to listen because we're already talking about it. But anyway, no, listen, I'm just saying. <laughs> I, I didn't make this point. I didn't make the point of the biblical structure, leadership, qualification requirements, right? And it is important, right? It is important because it's God's protection for God's family. And people, the people of God need to have confidence that the men that lead them spiritually are proven and mature and capable to handle the various stresses that come with ministry and with spiritual warfare, right? So, you know, back in the day, what I understood, like from Campus Crusade, and again, I just use them because it's my personal experience. There's probably any organization that would sort of qualify, but what they used to do is they would come into churches, they would meet the brightest and best, they would invite them to their meetings, of course, churches typically are on Sundays and Wednesdays or something like that. And well, they conveniently met on Thursdays. Well, that was handy. Oh, well, you don't have to miss church. I mean, you can you can come to our thing on Thursdays. So, but they don't have church meetings. They have they just have weekly meetings. They just call it weekly meetings instead of church, where somebody gets up and shares instead of preaches, right? And they're led by staff who have no responsibility whatsoever to be biblically qualified. Um, they have, you know, female staff leading and teaching the Bible to men that in their weekly meetings that arrive at ministry conclusions via consensus of the popular opinion of the group rather than revelation of the ordained leader and shepherd. And as a result, like Ephesians 4 warns us about, they're carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Because without the biblical requirements for leadership, 
you run the risk of marginally qualified carnal people leading the spiritual development of others. Maybe they're not, but you run the risk that they might be. I would ask, you know, these, these camps people, well, you know, why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? Well, I mean, we're not a church. That was literally the response. Well, we're not a church. Like, we don't have to do that. We're not a church. Okay. <laughs> oh, well, what are you doing? Well, we're just sharing at our weekly meetings. You know, okay. Well, you're just a liar. They're just a liar. They're lying. They're, they're, they're deceiving. They're trying to manipulate a system so they can bypass biblical requirements. Yeah, I was just going to say, too, and, and there's no compulsion to be submitted to any local structure or church. <coughs> so, like, where we're at, there's group, you know, navigators, whatever, and, and they're doing good stuff, but there's no draw to any local church. And so these guys will graduate, and then where are they at? They're, they're kind of homeless at that point, unless they become a professional crew member themselves. They're not established in any local church. They've not been established with the ordinances or any sort of other structure and so it's like they're starting over again rather than funneling people into a structure and so i i think campus crusade would have like you know larger special weekend meetings somewhere and they'd have like a conference they'd invite everybody away and one time for example they invited me to join their conference because they wanted to do the lord's supper but somewhere somebody had enough conviction to know I mean, we can't really administer the Lord's Supper. We're not a church. We're not pastors. So here's what we'll do. Let's just invite a pastor to, to be the pastor of the day. Well, then, look, you could, you, could, you could slice it however you want to. At the end of the day, that view is very Roman Catholic. We're just hiring a priest to do his little thing because he has the ability to do it. You know what I mean? So, okay, Maria's still preaching. we got to get to number four. <laughs> I'm local church only because specialized parachurch groups hold no doctrinal convictions. Y'all, seriously, this is a real danger. These groups desire to draw, so if they're on a campus, for example, they want to be able to invite everyone. They want to be able to draw everyone. So as a result of their broad net, they're looking for people who are already believing something, believers, and, and Jesus is in there somewhere. And so, oh, you're Catholic, come with us. Oh, you're Seventh-day Adventist, oh, come with us. And maybe in their mind, give them the benefit of the doubt, maybe in their mind they're thinking, well, bring them all in and we're going to preach the gospel and some of those people are going to get saved. And, and legitimately, I'm sure that happens. But because they structured themselves outside the bounds of the script, well, they're now stuck. They're like, we can't take any doctrinal stands on, well, is baptism by sprinkling or by immersion? Or is this, the, you know, is the communion supposed to be close or closed or open or this or can we do it or can't we even do it or what do we believe doctrinally about this or that or the other and what about the authority of the scriptures and what about the local church and what about the end times and what about you know oh well at the end of the day we we don't really get into doctrine i mean doctrine but you've heard this doctrine divides we want to be unified we want everybody to be unified so Back to my experience, that's mine. Young church planner, Albania, early days, not much going on, but Camps Crusade had a large number of people that were on a one year, they called it a stint team at the time. And two, most of them came to our church. There weren't hardly any churches to pick. And ours happened to be located close to the campus and we were conservative and they were generally conservative in their theology. So most of them attended our church for a while. And in the course of me just preaching, brand new believers, so I'm doing the very elemental things of the scriptures and baptism comes up. Well, two of these staff ladies, and one of them was the woman over all the women on the staff team, came up and said, well, you know, we, we've never done that. Now. Would you baptize us? And I was like, sure. So, you know, we had our <laughs> baptism and we had like, 
35 orphan kids and two campus crusade ladies and whatever praise the lord you know no problem at all um but where did you come from how did you get here how did you never even follow the lord in baptism get to this point that you're leading a missions ministry i i don't understand right so they came to our church for a while because, well, I mean, you're supposed to go to church. I mean, they had their weekly meetings, but they came to our church. You're supposed to go to church on Sunday. Well, I'm, I'm doing what I do. I'm preaching through the scriptures systematically, and I'm beginning to lay the foundation of basic doctrines. And, and you know, so when the teaching of our church, and I began to emphasize the authority and exclusivity of the local church, when they realized that kind of, rubbed against the direction of their movement they made a movement towards the door <laughs> and we never saw them again and the the other lady that i baptized not the leader lady the team member lady that i baptized as the story goes um ended up dating and marrying an albanian national um, which is great. I dated and married an Albanian national. You know, it's all good. <laughs> she married a dude that was a, a part of that group. That dude happened to come to that group because he was a young, faithful member in the Seventh Day Adventist Church. So this American gal, never baptized until I baptized her, marries a Seventh Day Adventist Albanian guy, and they grow in their leadership of that organization and come on staff of that organization for a while and etc cetera, etc cetera. but when when they a collective number of them and this new young couple was a part of that made their move long had left our church and were doing their own thing one day that seventh day adventist dude and his brother and some others this i, I can't make this up the story is worth is worth telling. It just, I can't make this up. Truth is weirder than fiction. So one day they were on their way to whatever church they were going to be attending on a Sunday. And, you know, in the capital city of Tirana, where I was, people walking, you know, everywhere. Nobody had cars back then. And they're walking to church, and typically it's a, you know, 20, 30, 40 minute walk, depending on where you live. And for whatever reason, they were late. They were, they were going to be late to make it to church and so they're like man we're not we're late we're really late like they have a culture of being late but they were late enough to be late for the late culture like they were like this is this is crazy so we're skipping church today so they go to a coffee shop which is kind of the thing and they sit down in a coffee shop instead of going to church and this is true like this is crazy they it, at this coffee shop meeting decided a handful of them decided you know we missed church today why don't we just start a church why don't we just start our church i mean like we're cool. And they did. Like, like the next week, they just started unilaterally, just said, I'm just, I'm going to do this. And they found a, a bunch of people that, of course, had no biblical authority. I'm not trying to, I'm truly not trying to just, you know, jack on them too hard. But they, they, these are people with no authority, just wandering alexandrians they you know they have no idea where they're at in the fields of the fatherless out there and they just unilaterally decide that they're gonna and, and the seventh day adventist guy's brother you be the pastor you know and okay and and they did and i think i don't know if that church still exists today but there's a statement that people say that you've probably heard and it's true if if you don't stand for anything, you'll fall for everything. Right. Like if you don't stand for something, we believe this book, we believe, so we're King James only, we're local church. If you don't stand for some doctrinal distinction, every wind of doctrine is gonna blow you all over the map. Right. And you don't, these people don't even have the moral right to take a doctrinal stand by virtue of the structure that they set up desiring to welcome in and steal in my opinion people who were saved in ministries of local churches 
And so, you know, if you go to their weekly meetings, their talks are always very practical and very simple. Because nobody studies. Nobody's diving into doctrine to teach you theology, right? And so many years ago in my early ministry years, the overwhelming emphasis among these kind of groups was heavily charismatic and the signs and the wonders and the gifts and all that kind of stuff. And then along the line, it seems like it shifted. And all the charismatics are still out there in great number. It seems like the overwhelming characteristic now is, you know, you got to be a Calvinist. It's not cool if you're not a Calvinist, you know. Only the smart people are Calvinists. And they're, and they're all equally carnal, just in different ways. Right? I mean, the, the, the charismatic is carnal emotionally because they're all wrapped up in what I feel and experience. And the Calvinist is carnal intellectually because I understand the depths of the election and the wisdom and the sovereignty and the grace and the superlapsarianism and all that kind of stuff. What is that? I don't even know. They make these words up. <laughs> and it appeals to their carnal intellect rather than just submitting to the scriptures. Because what they really are overwhelmingly is not just charismatic or Calvinistic. They're overwhelmingly biblically illiterate. Because they're not in a structure with teaching elders that take the Bible and help them understand, right? Practically, how do you navigate that as a church body? So, like Caleb's position, meet somebody who's hungry for the Lord, but yet God, in somewhere it seems that they God bless them with people to lead. How do you navigate that? Obviously, the priority would be we, we build our own, we invest in our own, we trust God for it. Yeah. A baby uh, winning the loss of discipling them, but in the case that God does give us somebody that already saved, a yeah, already how, how, do I, of a group. how do I have grace for that person and trust God to lead them or, or see them be discipled um, in the situation that? Yeah, I think I think the answer is just case by the case. answer was in the question. In my opinion, it's just mm -hmm. it's just biblical discipleship. In other words, you're going to befriend. Come alongside and, and begin to teach if they're willing to be taught. Let's do discipleship. Mm -hmm. And through the course of discipleship, you hit these doctrines. Now, you know, if they're plugged into, you're not, we're not about stealing sheep from anybody else, of course, but they're, yeah. it, assuming the circumstances are right, they're sure. seeking something more. God brought them to you. I look, I'm not stealing, I don't want anybody else's church members. Stay where you're at. God bless you. We're here to win people. But, but God, will, there could be somebody who was saved and frustrated and desiring more, and the Lord works the circumstances to bring them to you because you may be the only guy in town with the goods, right? So just offer discipleship, offer training, and let the Holy Spirit show them the things that we're discussing and that, oh, we need to, we need to give our lives to this. This is the way it needs to go. And so, again... The local church is the answer to a ton of questions. Like, there's, a, there's one plan, it's a simple plan, stick with the plan. Counseling, local church. Various, okay, so you have children's ministry, youth ministry, college ministry, yes, but it's under the authority and the structure of a local church. So specialized groups at times separate themselves to learn something specific to their needs, of course. But we're a part of a greater body. We still all come together and love one another. Use the church, discipleship, the simple tools, I think, become the filter. And then let them make the decision, because it's not on you, it's on them. They have to make the decision. <laughs> I'm not sticking with this plan, this is too weird. You got, okay, let me see. Hey, Jeff, I just want to uh, affirm that state statement. We, we actually have someone who is going through discipleship uh, in Vietnam, <clears throat> and it was true discipleship, you know, and... and that, that he kind of had that turn and uh, now he's very outspoken about man why did I spend mm -hmm. the last 15 years of my life 
messing around with characters. Just, just very outspoken in characters. And, and to be fair, these people, I mean, they only know what they know. They've only been exposed to what they've been exposed to. Right. And, right. and don't get, listen, don't you be arrogant. Yeah, no. We're so much smarter than you. Yeah. Don't be that. Yeah, that's yeah. really where the question comes from. It's like, I, I just feel like there's that equal split where it's like, don't waste your time with people who come from a different background. But then no. my heart's always like, man, these people are in some way ambient in their, their, their walk with God. And it's like, I have a burden for them. It's like they've never been discipled. Right. Who am I? Like, I got discipled at 18. Like, I didn't go 40 years. Right. It's just the, it's the old adage that, you know, who are we? We're just one beggar who's telling another beggar where we found some bread. Yeah. <laughs> like, a, yeah. God brought were you going to say something? Yeah, well, it's slightly different, but like you know, tying everything together, you're talking about it's like biblical authority, biblical structure. That's that's the most important thing. And like for people in the room who like maybe want to be the guy who goes out and does something, it's like the, the whole point of what you're saying is don't be this guy. We're not necessarily saying like, hey, we need to hate on these, but it's like, no, of course, you don't you be this guy. But I think it's interesting because really, it's really easy for us to be like, hey, look, those guys that we don't agree with at all. But there are people in our, not not LFF, but like independent fundamental Baptists, they will willingly co-sign you if you don't want to jump through the hoops of your local church and be like, well, the Bible doesn't say I have to have a pastor to send me out. Like, well, yeah, I'll just go get co-signed by that guy. It, it really is all dependent on like you making sure I'm going to submit to the structure of my local church in the Bible. There's always a way to get around. Yeah, right. yeah, listen, the, the, the genius of your carnal mind has no end. There are, there are ways to sort of navigate, you know, biblical structure if that's what you desire to do. Like, Valvania taught me one life lesson. It was those those brothers are brilliant. They have, like, you set a rule. They are going to find a way around that rule. Like, it's kind of a But the doesn't lie. Right. Good, good question. We're doing questions along the way, so I, I feel like... We're still rolling. Are we doing okay? Mm -hmm. All right. All right. I want to get to the last point and then we'll just kind of see if we'll wrap it up. Reason number five. I should have done it backwards. Five points. <laughs> Reason I'm local church only. Because only organic biblical growth lasts. Okay. So, really, what all I wanted to do with this is have the opportunity to, to tell you a story. Um, at the end of the day, I would. I would say, similar to our little Q&A on this in a big stage, just trust the process. And the process takes time, okay? So these specialized organizations, if you're, if you're called and sent out to some new location and you're the new guy in town, you don't know a lot of people. These specialized organizations, they, they'll have momentum. They'll have resourcing. They'll have, you know, groups and fun and opportunities and the one or two people you're trying to work with may be drawn, or you may be drawn to co-op with these guys because, well, I mean, we got stuff going on and I don't, you know, that kind of thing. And I get it, but don't be fooled by, don't be fooled by that. It's fool's gold. Don't, don't, don't be drawn into that just because there might be, you know, a lot of money invested in massive outreach campaigns. When I was Early years of Albania, the Camps Crusade tried to do a great thing, truly. They invested millions of dollars and recruited hundreds and hundreds of Americans to come. And they had a five-year project to saturate the entire nation with the Jesus film. And they, they paid for land rovers and helicopters to take them to remote mountain villages. And they took these groups of young people, two, three at a time, and with an Albanian translator and they fly them and they go and they show the Jesus film and they have an invitation and people would pray a prayer and they would report all the results. And But I won't bore you with that story. It's a different one, but at the end of the day, let that all dust settle. And years later, where are those people now? Exactly. No, nobody was left. To be a continuing church planner discipler, right? We're going to say something. Just to add to that point, because we didn't go to the same part church organizations, but we were both part of them. And years forward, you see the people that you serve along, and you will see, you know, some of them are just straight homosexuals, right? Yeah. Or direct yeah. families. Uh, people that you would look up to are just doing some things that you can truly see are going against the Lord, like. Yeah. 
some will go, even go into a satanic rock and roll metal, you know, rock band. Yeah. And in the end, you see the soul. It's like there's people that you will look up to, and you see the, the end of their life or where they are right now, and, and, and you see how how did that happen? Even though we were part of you know even churches, right? In America, you know, out to that. Uh, it started as a Christian uh, organization that wanted to reach uh, a diversity, and it is all now led by Catholics. Some of them are not. It's super straight. risky. It really, really is super risky. You can't. It's hard if you're the new guy and you're on the ground when it happens. It's hard to discern all that stuff because really the only way to to really see it is after time. Well, that's why you need the gray bearded guys to tell you this stuff. Like, we've lived more time. And so we're just warning you. You know, you've got your life ahead of you, you know, praying for you. Okay, let me finish with this story. So this summer, this was a significant little testimony that came to me. I was, was the summer of this fall. I was in Albania twice. One of the visits to Albania, I think it was this summer. I was talking to the man who was the pastor of the first church that I started, the brother. And he was talking to a guy who, by the way, is that guy I referenced earlier, the Seventh-day Adventist guy who married the Albanian girl. Fast forward, now it was, you know, we're 30 years into this ministry now. So that guy became the president of an organization, a national organization called the Albanian Evangelical Brotherhood, which is a part of the European Evangelical Brotherhood, which is a part of the World Evangelical <laughs> Brotherhood, which is very ecumenical, you know, and they hug the priests and the Muslim clerics and all that kind of stuff, and they all hold hands and pray for the president and all that kind of stuff. So this guy, his name is Uli. Uli, the Seventh-day Adventist husband guy, is the president of this organization. Or, I mean, we're still friends. If I saw Yuli on the street, you know, I'd buy him a coffee, we'd hang out. Yuli meets with Tao Lunt, the pastor, my friend. And uh, and he was in charge of this organization for a bunch of years. And one of the things this organization does is they kind of keep the stats of all of the Protestant church mission work in the nation of Albania. And so again, 2022 is 30 years into Albania being open to the gospel. And uh, Yuli was telling my guy, Tal Lunt, he said, Tal Lunt, I just, uh, he had just recently resigned from being president. I don't know what he's doing now, but for many years, he was the president's organization. He said, Tal Lunt, I want you to know something. He said, after all these years of all the things that God's done in this country, he said the Tirana Bible Baptist Church is the model church of all the churches that exist in this country. There isn't another ministry in this country that has achieved and accomplished what you've been able to accomplish. You guys not only are fully self-reliant, I mean on the Lord, but you don't have any outside assistance. They pay all their own bills. They have their own building. They have their own staff. They have sent out and started multiple other churches. They have sent out and financed foreign missionaries from that local church. Other churches only dream of doing what you guys have already done. Now, when that testimony came back to me, man, that made me feel really good. <laughs> like not because it's a competition, but it just made me feel good that if you do it right, this is the whole point, it works. It takes time but stick to the stuff. Now, when I go back and reflect, so I was leading the ministry for 14 years, Talon's been leading it for 16 years, so he's been there longer than I have, and the real exponential growth more so has come in his time, of course. And anyway, I look back and I remember my time back then when they were organizing, you know, the ecumenical marches down the boulevard and all this kind of stuff, and I'm like, nah, no thanks. And I wouldn't always want to participate. I want to be friendly, but I didn't really want to participate with a lot of the shenanigans they were wasting their time doing. And they were very interested in those early years that everybody had to talk to everybody and everybody had to compare notes with everybody and everybody spent, you know, their time at the Christian restaurant that the Christian missionary that went there to start a restaurant. Whatever. To compare notes about strategies of reaching out. I was like, I don't have time for 
they come to Albania to strategize with you. I came to Albania to reach Albanians. Like there's a lot of people out here, y'all. Like you know, let's let's not all gather here. Let's let's go reach people. How about that? So when I was making those statements and when I was not always cooperative, they didn't talk about them. They didn't like me. Shocker. You know, like when Bartel, you know, doctrine divides his thinking guy. And they, I mean, there was, listen, legitimately, there's a lot of bad press about Jeff and the Bible Baptist Church in Tehran. And Uli would have been part of it. He would have been a part of those who would have been, you know, kind of a malcontent, if you will. Okay, fine, whatever. I mean, we're still friends. I don't care. I'm busy. I got, I got stuff to do. Right. Right? Stay focused. Well, man, go forward. I have another story, a similar story, almost the same thing, where there was another American missionary. He came from John MacArthur's ministry out in California, Southern California. A lot of you know who that is. Big ministry. He had a lot of money. He had a lot of influence, blah, blah, blah. Long story short, at one early, early on, he attended our church first because we were first there. And then he divided out, went to start his own. And when he was doing that, I happened to know, as he, a few of our people went to his church or whatever, some of the things that he was saying about me personally, and Jeff has a horrible hermeneutic, you know, because I didn't go to, you know, the master's college. I couldn't possibly know what they know and all that sort of thing. And uh, horrible hermeneutic and, you know, all this kind of stuff, and they were running us down. Several years ago, I don't know, pre-COVID, but not that many years ago, I happened to bump into the guy in the streets of Tirana. Man, Jeff, we've got to go to dinner together. I'm like, no. <laughs> you know, I, I didn't say that, but I'm thinking, no, heck no, I don't care, no. You know, anyways, I said yes. And my wife, <laughs> and I'm like, this is going to be a waste of a whole evening of my life. I'll never get back. <laughs> At the end of the dinner, the guy ultimately just bears his soul, and he's like, I just want you to know I want to apologize. I've said a lot of negative things about you. And at the end of the day, your church is getting it done. Our church just isn't. <laughs> Praise God for you, man. And I was like, wow, thank you. I didn't expect that. That's very nice of you to say, you know. Again, don't hear what I'm saying <laughs> like self-praise. I don't mean that at all. I'm just saying, stick with the plan. <laughs> That's all you need to do. It's simple. It doesn't need to be complicated. Trust the process. Do it right. There'll be bumps in the road. Who cares? And that's the way. We hope this message was a blessing to you. If you're interested in learning more about the Living Faith Fellowship, visit lffellowship.com. God bless.